you would be wildly more wealthy than most everybody you know. So we often really overcomplicate it, right? We're like, oh, I gotta do this and I gotta do this. And I said, now, like, here's your investment plan. Buy one residential cash flowing property a year for the next 10 years and call me then. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, Brandon, welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Well, we like to start with the difficult questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? Uh, well, uh, cookie dough with vanilla. Love it. Love it. <laughs> now you're in the DC area. If we're in the DC area, let's say I'm going up there in late October. Where's the best place we can get ice cream? Oh, uh, there is a there's an ice cream store uh, called Julia's on 14th Street. That's really good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Now, are, are you a toppings guy or no toppings? No, 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 no. Just like regular. Give me the 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 vanilla ice cream with the cookie dough, little morsels, and I'm good to go. And nice. and every time I try to come up with a new flavor, I end up back, yeah. back to the old standby. Running <laughs> back home to Papa. Yeah. 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 Got it. Well, tell our listeners what's the scoop. What do you do today? So I am the CEO of Alchemy of Money, which is an accounting firm and an education coaching company for real estate agents and real estate investors. So we do what you might expect from an accounting company, bookkeeping, tax planning, tax filing, and payroll. And then we have a, a fairly large educational arm where we do content classes and coaching for real estate entrepreneurs who are looking to get better with their finances. Got it. Got it. Well, I'm super excited to dig into that. But before we get there, tell us where your real estate journey began. Sure. So my real estate journey began at two o'clock in the morning on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. and a little row house, two bedroom, one bath with me in the living room watching an infomercial, wondering what I wanted to do with my life when Carlton Sheets came on and he said, you could buy real estate with no money down and be rich on the beach in 90 days. And I was like, really? Oh, well, that sounds like a good plan. Let me see what I could do here. So that's where it all started. And I bought the course and I sat at my dining room table. The year was 1999, 2000. Went through the course, highlighted everything. Quickly realized there was more to it than the infomercial alluded to, but it did inspire me to take action, and I ended up buying a piece of real estate as a result. Shortly thereafter, were you a realtor at the time, or were you? No, not no. yet. So I started as an investor and bought a property on Capitol Hill using a FHA two hundred three k loan program, which you know you're supposed to live in it. I flipped it. And I had, it was a burned out foreclosure. It was a mess. And I renovated it, put it on the market for sale by owner. And a, re a local real estate agent walked in one day and convinced me I should list with her. Sold it, made like, I don't know, forty fifty thousand dollars $50,000. And I oh. thought I was just the bomb. Like I thought, it, now in hindsight, I was lucky. I could have e just as easily, if not more easily lost that money. But it was enough to get me going. And I used that money to buy another piece of real estate and then started from there. Yeah, that's a hell of a first uh, flip. Not many people I know turn a profit on their first flip, let alone $50,000 in 2000. 
Yeah, exactly. Of course, this was all this was pre-tax. I didn't even know really that you owed any taxes on that. <laughs> uh, that's another story. But but it did. I was like, oh, okay, great. What can I do now? And 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 it got me going. You are not the first person to mention Carlton Sheets on this show. What was it that appealed to you listening to that infomercial or what did he teach back in the day? Oh man. I mean, it was just a good, good infomercial. It was a, you know, a convincing story. And I think we're all a little extra vulnerable at two o'clock in the morning anyway. (laughs) And, you know, the timing was probably not uh, accidental. And I, and I remember thinking, huh, I, this kind of feels right. Like I really could, I, I wanted to do something that I felt more in control of my destiny. I had a job at the time in a sales job and I was doing well in that sales job, but I felt really limited in my income potential and frankly, didn't want anybody to tell me what to do. I really want, I see now I was a classic entrepreneur. I hadn't identified as such yet, but but that sort of idea of, being a real estate investor appealed to my entrepreneurial sense. Yeah. So you flip your first house, you hit a home run. Did you go down the investing journey right after that? Or did you become a realtor? Talk us through that transition. So I bought another property and uh, flipped it and then bought another one and held it. And in that period of time, my original real estate agent who listed that first property said, you really ought to consider getting your real estate license and going in full-time as a realtor as well as an investor. And I was in an information technology staffing sales job at the time. And this was right as the the big IT bubble was bursting in the early 2000s. So I could see my book of business and my IT sales job quickly diminishing, but real estate appeared to be quickly accelerating. And so I was like, well, I'm gonna make that shift. And so I went into real estate within a few months of starting as an investor, uh, as a full-time agent. A common um, misconception out there when I talk to new investors is that they think they have to be a real estate agent to be a real estate investor. I've Uh heard pros and cons on both sides, whether it's beneficial to have your license and whether it's not beneficial to have your license. I would love to hear your perspective on it as an investor and agent. Was it a good move for you? Was it a bad move? Talk us Uh, through that. It was for me. I mean, sure, there are some things that you could do without a real estate license. You can't do with a real estate license, just in terms of the way you can source deals and the deals that you can create within those. But by and large, a real estate license does get you closer into the industry and does teach you a lot about a lot of things you may not otherwise learn. That do become that becomes handy another time. So, so I'm an advocate for it generally. That, but I would also say, just because you have a real estate license does doesn't mean you're going to be any good at investing, right? As a matter of fact, uh, you know, there's no correlation. I would say. Uh, so, but it can be helpful as an investor to have another source of income because mm-hmm. you, know, you usually do need to generate some cash to buy things, unless you have a trust fund. Then good for you. Uh, and it can be a great source of knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Putting on your real estate hat. Um, it's easy to become a realtor. It's really hard to be a good realtor. So if I'm a new investor out there and I'm looking at working with a real estate agent, what should I be looking for that separates good realtors from bad realtors in your opinion? Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) real estate agents in some ways are like accountants in that you don't know you have a bad one until it's way too late. Amen. 
<laughs> and so, but you can do a little bit of research to figure out what's actually going on. And I would say if you're working with a real estate agent to procure real estate investments, then I'd want to know how much real estate that real estate agent owns or has owned. A lot of real estate agents are excellent in sales, but not good at building any sort of portfolio. And when you start building your own portfolio, you inevitably learn things that there's just no way you can learn as a broker of deals. So ideally, you'd have a real estate agent who had a well-balanced understanding of the investment world by having bought a few properties themselves. That goes a long way in securing a better real estate agent um, than somebody who's not. Now, that being said, if you're a new investor and you need somebody to like bird dog a bunch of deals for you, a more experienced real estate agent may not work with you. So you may have to work with a newbie. And that's okay. Just know that the newbie is a newbie and you're going to have some potential gaps in their knowledge or understanding that you're going to have to fill in. And I'm shaking my head vigorously when you said real estate agent and making sure they own real estate to know what a good investment looks like versus what a good property to live in and raise two and a half kids and a white picket house and all that sort of things. I think the same is true about accountants as well. If you are going to go down the path of being a real estate investor and having a portfolio that's dominantly real estate, you want to make sure somebody that's doing your books and accounting has some sort of real estate background so they can understand the nuances of that. Can you uh, talk us yeah. through like your challenges? I mean, it sounds like you might've had some challenges with accountants in the past that didn't really understand real estate. Yeah. Well, I think most accountants intellectually understand the accounting nuts and bolts of real estate, but where it gets lost is a great real estate investor needs a very proactive accountant to take advantage of the various tax incentives that a real estate piece of real estate can offer, such as accelerated depreciation or cost segregation. And the challenge is, is most accountants are A, not particularly proactive, and B, they're trained to file your taxes, not prepare strategic plans. Correct. And so you're forcing your filer who you're paying a measly $1,000 a year to try to be a strategic planner. And they're like, A, you're not paying me to do that. B, I'm not really trained to do that. I just file, which by the way, you need a good filer. So people, I think, get it mixed up when they try to combine filing and preparing and strategy. And I, you know, they end up with someone who is just not a very pro- proactive person and therefore, they are constantly in hindsight seeing great tax benefits that have passed them by. So I think that's where you've got to really distinguish a great finance professional in the real estate arena. Yeah. Just to add on to that, if you're listening to this show right now, today before April is the best time to call your accountant and start oh, figuring yeah. these things out. It's so much, so many times do I talk to people who it's January 30th. That just got their W-9 from their work and uh, starting to see some of these 1099s and K-1s hit their desk and things like that. And they're like, hey, who do you use for your accountant? And I'm like, well, this is who I use, but you're not going to be able to talk to them until July because they're already busy and you've already missed your boat. So if you're listening to this now, that's the best piece of advice we can probably both give you is start yeah. start finding an accountant early. There, there is a huge shortage in the industry of great accountants. We're not we're not churning them out of school 
and it's you know for whatever reason not seen as a sexy enough career for a large enough percentage of people to to satisfy the demand so yes really great accountants may not pick up your call q1 <laughs> and so you best find them and establish a relationship in q2 and q3 yep Yep. So I want to talk a little bit about the uh, alchemy of money. I know in there you offer some tax strategies and some bookkeeping, but also you have this good view of wealth being both a active income earner in real estate selling it, but also investor as well. So if we can, I'd like to take this conversation in two different directions. First, let's start with your view of wealth. So I always am interested in understanding how do you define wealth? And then what do you think some of the key criterias are of being a wealthy person? Yeah, it, the topic can be really uh, esoteric. And uh, as a matter of fact, I talked, I was just literally on a coaching call with someone moments ago. And I said, so, you know, we were going through net worth goals and and this particular person was like, okay, I've got a $150 million net worth. Uh, and and I want to accomplish it in the next 20 years. And I was like, awesome. Easy. But what what is that going to do? What what are you doing? Like what what is this grounded in? Or is this just a numerical game? Which, by the way, that's fine at some point, but most people are actually trying to accomplish some sort of emotional hit of some kind. They're trying to satisfy a sense of freedom or peace of mind or flexibility. And that requires a fair amount of uh, of understanding yourself to see what's driving you, but then a correlation to a numerical amount that is going to create that emotion. So wealth in my mind is being able to say my primary emotional driver is X and I can satisfy that driver or at least to some degree, by a specific amount of cash flow coming in every month passively. If I know that my number to live the lifestyle I want to live in my mind is $41,500 a month, then I can say, well, how much do I need to make gross? Because that's after taxes. What kind of business or assets do I need to accumulate in order to generate that level of passive uh, income? How long might that take? And and you can start to reverse engineer it. I, I think that the mistake people make is they only do the art of it. They've got the dream boards, they've got the big thinking, they read something on Twitter, but then they don't get into the science of it and say, okay, but what's the specific number and how do I back that out into an actual plan and a defined period of time? I think when you can start to connect all those dots, which is not easy, by the way, it takes a lot of work and a lot of coaching and mentoring usually because we don't, we can't usually work all this out cognitively in our brains by ourselves, then you can start to ground the idea of wealth into something that makes sense for you. And that is very powerful when you can make all those connections. Yeah. So taking that from the big picture and the grand idea of wanting this $150 million of net worth, how do you walk people back to start thinking about the right avenues for them? Because I guess let me frame it up as saying, I talk a lot on this show that real estate is a strategy. It is not the strategy. Just like for some people, crypto might be a strategy, but I would challenge them on saying it's the strategy. So yeah. I, talk me through, like, I've got this big goal. Where do I start? How do I start picking out avenues and things like that? 
Hey, fellow investors, before we dive into our next segment of the show, I wanted to take a quick moment to talk to you about a fantastic opportunity for you to invest with me. As you know, here at Ice Cream with Investors, I'm passionate about real estate investing and helping you navigate the exciting world of wealth creation through real estate. And that's why for the first time, I'm thrilled to tell you about an opportunity for you to invest alongside of me. Over the past three years, I've been investing in multifamily, mobile home parks, car washes. I've even become the bank and lent out money to fellow real estate investors on a short-term basis. And now you can come join me. If you would like to jump on a call and learn more about this opportunity, head to icecreamwithinvestors.com slash invest and find a time for us to connect. And now back to the show. So think of a vertical line. And at the top of the vertical line is big picture thinking. I want $150 million net worth. Great. At the bottom of the vertical line is what do I need to do this week? And most people are clear either in the big goal, like I want X, like they've got good visioning capacity, or they're pretty good at their today to-do list. But almost everybody gets really foggy when you go out six to 18 months And so what I encourage people to think through is connecting that vertical line so that you can see the correlation between your big goal and today's next step and all of the other micro steps in between there to get you to your big goal. So what do I need to do this week? What do I need to do this month? What do I need to do the next six months? What do I need to do this year? What do I need to do in the next two years? What do I need to do in the next three years? And build that out for no more than five years because beyond that, I think it's nearly impossible to have executional clarity. But if you can get executional clarity in increments of one week, one month, six months, 12 months, 18 months, 24 months, and 60 months, then you can build a real plan and really start to make some progress. So that's, I think, what you've got to start to sequence through. And if if people or your listeners are thinking through this, I'll bet you're going to self-identify that you've got clarity in either the lower part of it or the upper part of it, but probably not a whole lot of clarity on what needs to be specifically executed in the next 18 to 36 months and how to actually align today's actions towards that goal. Yeah. I already know where I fall into that. So thank you for a little bit of that clarity. I think um, I heard a wise man once say on a podcast, there's a difference between educating and coaching. And uh, I think that wise man is actually on the other side of this podcast. Uh, I heard you say that one time. And oh. and this is really where it comes down to the rubber reads the road, right? I know what it takes to build assets and passive income streams to get to X number of net wealth. But coaching is going to help me along those paths for that. For me, it was the middle part. Once I get past 12 months, I understand what 20 years looks like. But once I get tw- past 12 months, I can't really think through the tactical things that need to happen. And that's where I think you all come into play for a lot of real estate investors. Yeah. Our our financial coaching is really the identification of the blind spots that are holding you back from taking the next sequence of steps. You know, it's not usually let's develop a spreadsheet from zero to 150 million in net worth. Like you could do that. You could take a class for that. But what is your particular next series of 10 steps and what are the blind spots that are often quite unconscious, which is why they're blind, need to be put in front of your face where you're like, oh, right, I need to do that. Right. right? That's the aha that that hopefully coaching really unlocks for someone and good coaching most certainly does. 
Yeah. And I hope our listeners are astute enough to recognize you didn't mention any tools, any famous formulas, like anything complicated to this. All this is very, very basic. But to your point, a lot of what you can't see is unconscious and it's blind to you. And you need people to help you along the way that can see around those corners. Yeah. These are generally not advanced uh, intellectual concepts, right? right? These are uh, things that you know you could write out, but what is really actually quite hard is connecting it to your own individual goals and creating actionable plans and executing and clearing the hurdles. Like I talked to a guy the other day, the truth is that his hurdle that he needed to clear was he no longer had a workstation absent of distractions. And so he was constantly being distracted by his kids, his dogs, the delivery man, whatever, right? He's like, I can't get anything done. I was like, and it was his environment that was actually, so he moved himself into a little like we workspace or something for six hours a day. And he's starting to really move his goals forward. Right. So it was that it, it's often the trivial things that are the critical things that are actually standing in the way of us accomplishing our goals. Gotcha. Gotcha. So the other part of this conversation was really the bookkeeping, the tax planning portion of this. Um, I have a firm belief that taxes are going to be the highest expense you pay for in your life, not only for the dollar that you're going to pay, but for the opportunity cost that that dollar costs when you pay that over. So for example, I had a job when I was 19. I sent some money to the government. I lost opportunity cost for the next 60 years of that money. So where do you think taxes and tax strategy really comes into this idea of building a wealth plan or a wealth formula? Yeah. So most people start with the fun stuff. They're like, I want to make some investments. I want to grow my net worth. And if you do do that, you quickly realize, oh crap, I got to manage taxes. And you, in that realization, you discover there's tax planning proactively and tax filing. They're two different things. You've got to do them both. But within that, you usually have to back up even further and say, none of that happens without the underlying good accounting, the bookkeeping. And that's, it. I was talking to somebody the other day and I was telling him the investment necessary for bookkeeping. He's like, really? Gosh, that seems like so much. It's like, it is the foundation of everything. You have no good tax planning or strategy without underlying great bookkeeping. You have no ability to generate net worth beyond a certain amount of your own personal effort without great underlying bookkeeping. So it is the, the most underinvested, underutilized, critical thing out there, which is great bookkeeping. And you know it if you've had a bad bookkeeper and you got audited by the IRS. Then you're like, well, that'll never happen again. And you'll pay what's necessary to get great books done in a timely, consistent manner. And I think like bookkeeping is a pain. I, I don't know if you do your own books. I do my own books still. It's a pain and I hate doing it. And every time I'm doing it, I'm like, this just drains energy from me. I could be using this time to be more impactful or generating more ideas, creating all those sorts of things. Um, so for nothing else, then if you uh, if you think that your time is worth something, then investing in a bookkeeper is definitely worth the investment. Yeah, you should be the CFO of your business, not the bookkeeper. But the bookkeep, but the bookkeeping has to be done, and that is a skill set. Great bookkeepers are unique individuals that they really like to be in the 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 spreadsheets and the journal entries and the coding and categorization. That is a different skill set than analyzing the data or thinking through the strategy. Those are different things. So, and you can't generally be good at both. You're usually good at one or the other. That's right. That's right. 
So taking you back outside of the uh, alchemy of money for a second and putting your real estate investing journey hat on, um, okay. you've been investing in real estate for uh, at least 23 years now. Um, you've seen the booms, you've seen the bust, you've seen the COVIDs, you've seen the return back to work. I would love to hear like kind sure. of your general perspective on where you see the real estate industry, knowing sure. that it's a multi-trillion dollar industry and it's hard to say uh, where we are in each different asset class. I'm just interested in how you're viewing that right now, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, real estate has been the 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 foundational formula for becoming a millionaire for as long as as we know, right? Since Egypt, and so you know that it remains so. I think when I think of real estate investing, though, I like to come back to some other foundation foundational principles, which is invest in what you know, right? You you need to get really good at a specific asset class to really get good at investing. And very few people can get good at a lot of different asset classes. So at some point, you really have to narrow in your focus on which type of real estate you're going to go for. Multifamily residential, uh, mom and pop commercial, mixed use, office, warehouses. What are you going to do, right? And, and get your portfolio specialized around that. Or... If you don't really want to be the the general partner and drive the development of these deals and build out a finance team and run that all yourself, then then being a limited partner where you're really just putting in the cash is a great way to go. You have to realize your returns are probably going to be a little bit less than a GP, but then it's a little bit less about getting really good at picking great properties and getting really instead it's more about getting really good about picking great partnerships of of managing general partners who have a track record of producing great results and you can tag your 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 wheels to them so you know in my personal history of investing i started with residential flipping which generated enough cash for me to go to residential single family houses and condominium rental properties that modestly cash flowed but nothing fabulous in the DC area at the time i built up you know a number of units doing that but then personally i said you know once i got above 10 uh, doors i was like wow this is becoming a full time job in and of itself and i didn't really want to do that and when i looked at the the acquisition of a management company and the margins associated with that. I grew the portfolio by another, I don't know, 15 or 20 doors until it was large enough that I could sell it and start to roll my assets into commercial properties, which ultimately I have found to be a better fit for me because you can hire better, more professional management, generally of commercial assets, uh, you can diversify a bit more, I find, and because I could become a limited partner in some and a general partner in others. And, and I think most people who are in commercial have followed a similar path, which is they started in residential and then decided to go into commercial. Very few people, I'm not, I can't think of anybody unless you unless you start with a large amount of capital, start in commercial. You have to generally work up into that. So, you know, where I sit now, I often advise people, I'm like, okay. Where are you going to start? May not be where you end up ending. 
And wherever you start, you should build a series or a set of expertise to mitigate the risk of that investing and uh, and set a goal. A, a good goal for someone is one acquisition a year or every other year. And quite frankly, if all you did was buy one residential cash flowing property a year for the next 10 years and you did nothing else, you would be wildly more wealthy than most everybody you know. So we often really overcomplicate it, right? We're like, oh, I got to do this and I got to do this. And I said, now, like, here's your investment plan. Buy one residential cash flowing property a year for the next 10 years and call me then. Yep. <laughs> and you'll have a lot of options. It, it sounds like we had pretty similar journeys in the sense of like, I scaled mine to 10 and then I quickly realized, wow, this is way more of a burden than I thought it was going to be. Um, even though I wasn't managing those properties, I was having to manage the managers and manage the contractors of yeah, those properties yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Um, but I kept those because I, to your point, in 30 years, they will be paid off and I put 20% down on each of them. That means they are 400, 500% more in value than what I put into them with paid free and clear. So I know 30 years from now, they will be worth X number of millions of dollars and that should settle me when that time comes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, back to this idea that it's quite a simple strategy. What is much more hard, more difficult is to execute it. But if you're spending your time thinking through an investment plan, then I think maybe we just simplified it for you right now. I'm like, buy a piece of real yeah. estate for the next five years, one a year, and then figure out where you are from there. Yeah. You mentioned being a GP and an LP on properties. Are you um, both of those? Or do you serve both of those capacities today? Yes. Although I will say I am super cognizant of when I play J GP because it is so much work. That's right. <laughs> and I'm growing right. a, I'm growing a business again. So I sold my, my uh, brokerage business a few years ago and, uh, and then took some time off. And in that time off, I GP'd a couple projects. I loved it. It was so much fun. But now I'm actively growing another business, Alchemy, and I don't have time to GP a project. That is a full-time job if you're going to do it really, really well. And then the responsibility is significant as a GP. And you could lose a lot of money and get a lot of trouble if you're not doing it well. So so the answer is yes, but I ebb in and out of it depending on kind of the stage I'm in and growing something so that I can devote proper time to it. So I wanted to ask just a quick question on your LP then. So you, you're a guy with a real estate background, you were GPs on stuff, but you still decided to do LP investments. Yes. Talk us through like, why did you decide to do that? Were they in your area? Were they outside of your geographic area? Were they inside your assets? All those sorts of things. The only LP investments I do are... Um, with people that I know and have known for a while and have and that they have a track record that I feel reasonably confident in and that it's an asset that I know enough about to be able to make a basic valuation or evaluation of whether or not that makes any sense. And it's a double-double a if there's some other corresponding component to it. So I'll give you an example. One of our active businesses is we have a um, a residential and commercial staging business. So we do furniture and accessories, both for residential listings, but also for sporting events, corporate events, weddings, and you need the little vignettes. Anyway, we needed a new warehouse, a much, much bigger warehouse, like a 25,000 square foot warehouse. Uh, so I was able to put together 
with the help of a bunch of people, a, a, a large configuration of several warehouses that, you know, was like $20 million. I became an LP in that bigger deal and put my active business in one of the larger spaces. So it was a nice, like, I'm a landlord, I'm an LP in the big deal, and I'm a business owner tenant in the deal itself. So it made sense to do. So I'm looking for stuff like that, where it's like this, this, and this all come together. Yeah. So at least you knew 25,000 square feet of that uh, bigger project were going to be taken up. Yeah, exactly. The tenant's good. Yeah, the tenant is good. And, you know, and it's nice to know that a that our active business is paying rent, but that's trickling down over to our investment entity and, you know, some nice connection points. Yeah. Super interesting. Um, Brandon, I want to switch us now into our last round. It's called the five toppings. Our first one is what is your favorite book or what is a book that you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? Yeah. You know, I am at the moment I'm all into Ray Dalio's material. Yeah. So, um, I I remember reading one of his earlier books, the original, The Principles. So I was like, wow, this is great. And he's had a couple books thereafter and he produces a newsletter. I think that we're at a really interesting moment in time, right? Quote unquote. And I think that he provides some really nice timely insight. So I'm going to pick Ray Dalio's material as sort of the, the thing that I'm following and spending a fair amount of time reading right now. Yeah. Principles is by far one of the best books that every entrepreneur or anybody involved in investing should go read. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Our second one is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you have and the things you do every day. What are some of the habits or things you do every day? Yeah. I I am very focused right now on the health, (laughs) the health habit. So I, as I'm getting older, I'm realizing the foundation of great health is everything. Like I am a naturally motivated and focused and productive person. I'm grateful that I have that gift. Um, and I sometimes don't pay as much attention to my health as I need to in lieu of all my entrepreneurial ventures. And I'm realizing that I have to be on my A game every day, which requires great sleep, great eating habits, and great exercise habits. And and that translates to people that are succeeding at a high level anyway. Like that, that is a clear pattern to success. And I, I'd say over the last couple of years, I've really tuned into that reality at a new level and am, am relatively obsessed with like all of my uh, health metrics and I wear the aura ring. So I track all yeah, of my sleep it. and my activity. I track everything I eat in my fitness pal. I'm definitely obsessed with it, but I'm, I'm liking the results. Yeah. Well, I'm a health nut. So we'll have to uh, nerd out after this about some of that stuff. Our third one is what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I will, I'll go to one of the financial pieces of advice I got that I thought was really good, which is that making money, saving money and investing money are three entirely different skill sets. And nobody comes to the table with all three. You have a, have a tendency to be heavy on one or the other, or be interested in one or the other. But if you're going to generate more than a couple million dollars in net worth, you've got to get good at all three. And I remember that piece of advice and then thinking through at the time, I was really good at making money, 
I didn't really have much orientation for saving money because I really felt that making money could get myself out of pretty much everything I could get myself into, which was not true. Um, and I had no idea how to invest money. So just thinking through the relationship between those three things and realizing they're very different was a really great piece of advice. Yeah, no, I completely agree. They're all three different skill sets too. Our fourth one is what are you most proud of in your life? So I, what am I most proud of? I, I would say on the, I'll take two perhaps on the, on the business side, I, I was able to achieve enough success to get into YPO, Young President's Organization. And that was really a, a very important milestone for me. I'm really grateful that I was able to do that. Sort of was like, I made it kind of thing. Like I didn't go to college or I don't have your traditional pedigree that people that end up succeeding a lot in society seem to have. And so including most of my YPO friends. And so it's just been really an honor to be part of that and be like, yeah, I belong here. Like I made it, I did it. And so I'm very proud of that. And I'm proud of the family I built. My husband, we've been together for 20 years and we have a great home with two cats. They're wandering around in here somewhere. And I'm very proud of that. All right, got it, got it. Well, our fifth one is, if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be and why? I, at the moment, I think I'm going to pick Ray Dalio again, actually, and and really understand kind of what what he is up to. And, and you know, if I were to um, uh, pick a second one, gosh, I think uh, Xi Jinping uh, in China, I think would be a fascinating, like he seems like such a mysterious guy. We're actually going to China, hopefully in a year. Uh, it's a trip that was canceled from COVID. It's now back on the books. I'm fascinated by China, the role that China is playing in the world, wants to play in the world, and where all that's going to go as sort of America imperialism gets challenged and history plays out accordingly. Do you follow uh, Peter Zion on at all? Peter, no, I don't. Uh -uh. So um, look him up when you're done with this. He produces a daily just geopolitics, two minute, five minute video every single day. And he's got a lot of things to talk about on China, specifically around the demographics. Uh, and yeah. The whole yeah. thing is that maybe we are over um, propping up the Chinese regime because really right. in 30 years, their demographics are going to kill themselves anyways, because the, yes. the population will be so old that we'll have no younger people to pay for it. So um, to your point, Ray Dalio, this whole cycles thing and where we are with the economy, mm -hmm. and you've got that with China and this whole thing with Russia's demographics are wiped off the map too, specifically now that they've invaded Ukraine. He's like, it's going to take care of itself as long as we don't get involved in a World War III type escalation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm still you know, putting all my money on America, generally speaking, for those reasons and many more. Uh, so, but that's a very interesting observation that I've read a lot about as well, that demographics are, are, are key here. And we could have a whole other podcast on, on yep. how and what we should be doing around that. Yep. Yep. We'll bring you back on to have that discussion because it's <laughs> something that uh, I have a background in political science and I'm just very interested in how geography more than anything else in the world dictates whether a country is going to be successful or not. Yeah. And so, yeah, that all ties in. Yeah. Interesting. Well, Brandon, fantastic conversation. If our listeners wanted to reach out to you, learn more about you, learn more about the alchemy of money, where is the best place we could point them? So you can certainly find me on all the grand social platforms, including threads recently, uh, or you could go to our website, alchemyofmoney.co. 
alchemyandmoney.co is where you can find me and the company. Perfect. We're going to leave a link to that in the show notes. And then Brandon, thanks for coming on. All right. Thanks for having me, Matt. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.